Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hello, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be regarding Mormon, Chapter 7. So now Mormon is writing on the plates that he's uh, using as his abridgment of the large plates, and he's going to be writing to the Lamanites. And so uh, let's go ahead and get into this one. Uh, verse 1, Now behold, I would speak somewhat unto the remnant of this people, meaning the Lehites, who are spared. Jeffrey R. Holland said, In a soliloquy of death, Mormon reached across time and space to all, especially to that remnant of the house of Israel, who would one day read his majestic record. Those of another time and place must learn what those lying before him had forgotten, that all must believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. To believe in Christ, especially when measured against such tragic but avoidable consequences, was Mormon's last plea and his only hope. It is the ultimate purpose of the entire book, that would come to the latter-day world bearing his name. If it so be that God may give unto them my words, obviously the Book of Mormon, in a special way, the Book of Mormon was written to the Lamanites, the descendants of Lehi, as a major tool to restore them to Christ. It seems that the righteous Nephite prophets, knowing the, the, the destruction of their own people, wrote with special feeling to the future Lamanites. Mormon, in his final chapter, said, And now, behold, I would speak somewhat unto the remnant of this people. That was by Rex Reeve. Uh, continuing verse 1, That they may know of the things of their fathers, yea, I speak unto you, ye remnant of the house of Israel, and these are the words which I speak. Know ye that ye are of the house of Israel. Careful and prayerful study of the scriptures, especially the Old Testament and the Book of Mormon, will not only bring people to understand in their minds the origin and destiny of the descendants of Jacob, but will also cause them to know in their hearts what it means to come to earth through a chosen lineage and what God would have them do to be a light to the world, particularly to so many who sit in spiritual darkness. The words of the Lord to ancient Israel should be received by modern Israel with sobriety and humility, but they must be received and believed if we are to realize our potential to become a holy people and a royal priesthood. Jehovah spoke millennia ago of Israel, whom I have chosen, and assured the Israelites that you only have I known of all the families of the earth. And yet coming to this earth through a peculiar lineage involves much more than boasting of a blessing. It entails bearing a burden. Once we know who we are, President Nelson said, and the royal lineage of which we are a part, our actions and directions in life will be more appropriate to our inheritance. Years ago, a wise man wrote of the burdens of chosenness and of why God had selected a particular people as his own. A man will rise and demand, by what right does God choose one race or people above another? I like that form of the question. It is much better than asking by what right God degrades one people beneath another, although that, it, that is implied. God's grading is always upward. If he raises up a nation, it is that other nations may be raised up through his ministry. If he exalts a great man, an apostle of liberty or science or, or faith, it is that he might raise a degraded people to a better condition. The divine selection is not alone a prize, a compliment paid to the man of the race, it is a burden imposed. To appoint a chosen people is not a 
pandering to the racial vanity of a superior people. It is a yoke bound upon the necks of those who are chosen for a special service. In short, the Lord hath made Israel great for what he is going to make Israel do. And that was by um, W.J. Cameron. Verse 3, Know ye that ye must come unto repentance, or ye cannot be saved. Know ye that ye must lay down your weapons of war. Now notice what he says here. Uh, weapons of war and delight no more in the shedding of blood and take them not again. In spite of our delight in defining ourselves as modern and our tendency to think we possess a sophistication that no people in the past ever had, in spite of these things, we are, on the whole, an idolatrous people, a condition most repugnant to the Lord. We are a warlike people, easily distracted from our, assigned, our assignment of preparing for the coming of the Lord. When enemies rise up, we commit vast resources to the fabrication of gods of stone and steel, ships, planes, missiles, fortifications, and depend on them for protection and deliverance. When threatened, we become anti-enemy instead of pro-kingdom of God. We train a man in the art of war and call him a patriot, thus, in the manner of Satan's counterfeit, of true patriotism, perverting the Savior's, re uh, the per perverting the Savior's teaching. What are we to fear when the Lord is with us? Can we not take the Lord at his word and exercise a particle of faith in him? Our assignment is affirmative to forsake the things of the world as ends in themselves, to leave off idolatry and press forward in faith, to carry the gospel to our enemies, that they might no longer be our enemies. We must leave off the worship of modern-day idols and a reliance on the arm of flesh, for the Lord has said to all the world in our day, I will not spare any that remain in Babylon. That was by President Kimball. Continuing uh, verse 4, And delight no more in the shedding of blood, and take them not again, save it be that God shall command you. Hugh Nibley said, Writing with special consideration for their own descendants, the Book of Mormon prophets are especially concerned for the future of that highly mixed people known as the Indians. In the 1820s, the Indians still held most of the continent and felt themselves a match for any invader. But Mormon forewarns them that all their efforts to prevail by force of arms will be hopeless. In the beginning, Lehi prophesied that his descendants, who would survive until our day, should see generations of bloodsheds and great visitations among them, and that God would bring other nations unto them and give unto them power and take away from them, meaning the Indians, the lands of their possessions, and he will cause them to be scattered and smitten. Nephi foretold the same. The Lord God will raise up a mighty nation among the Gentiles, yea, even upon the face of this land, and by them shall our seed be scattered. This scattering and smiting was to exceed anything the Indians had experienced before 1830. It was to be carried to the point of virtual extermination. Continuing verse 4, Save it be that God shall command you. There will be times when God will command us to go to war. There are some things worth fighting for. Verse 5, Know ye that ye must come to the knowledge of your fathers, and repent of all your sins and iniquities, and believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that he was slain by the Jews, and by the power of the Father he hath risen again, whereby he hath gained the victory over the grave, and also in him is the sting of death swallowed up. In its overall structure, the Book of Mormon begins and ends with concern for the Lamanites receiving the gospel. Reiterating the main points from the title page, Nephi says that through the Book of Mormon, the Lamanites shall know they are of Israel, and through it they shall be restored unto the knowledge of their fathers, and also to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then toward the end, Mormon says much the same thing. Know ye that ye are of the house of Israel. Know ye that ye must come to the knowledge of your fathers, and repent of all your sins and iniquities, and believe in Jesus Christ. At the physical center of the book is the narrative of the conversion of the Lamanites. 
This central part begins with the decree of the king of the Lamanites that Ammon and his brethren should be free to preach the word of God throughout all the land. It ends with gratitude by these great missionaries for the thousands of Lamanite souls brought to behold the marvelous light of God. And that was in Alba 26. The narrative high point of the book is the ministry of the resurrected Savior. While discoursing to both the Lamanites and Nephites before him, Jesus as well speaks to their descendants, saying that the Book of Mormon shall come forth of the Father from the Gentiles unto you. He confirms the prophecies of Isaiah that in the last days the children of Lehi will be gathered both physically and spiritually. Then is the fulfilling, he says, of the covenant which the Father hath made unto his people, O house of Israel. And that was by Richard Rust. Verse 6, And he bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead, whereby man must be raised to stand before his judgment seat. And he hath brought to pass the redemption of the world, whereby he that is found guiltless before him at the judgment day hath it given unto him to dwell in the presence of God in his kingdom, to sing ceaseless praises with the choirs above unto the Father and unto the Son and unto the Holy Ghost, which are one God, in a state of happiness which hath no end. Therefore repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and lay hold upon the gospel of Christ, which shall be set before you, not only in this record, meaning the Book of Mormon, but also in the record which shall come unto the Gentiles from the Jews, meaning the Bible, which record shall come from the Gentiles unto you. For behold, this is written for the intent that ye may believe that, the Bible, and if ye believe that, the Bible, ye will believe this, the Book of Mormon, also. And if ye believe this, the Book of Mormon, ye will know concerning your fathers and also the marvelous works which were wrought by the power of God among them. Elder McConkie says, from these passages we reach certain clear conclusions relative to believing in Christ and in his holy word. Among them are these, a belief in Christ and a belief in the Book of Mormon go together. They are locked in each other's arms. They cannot be separated. Like Ezekiel's two sticks, they are one in the hands of the Father. Those who believe in Christ also believe the Book of Mormon because it contains the words of Christ. Those who believe the words of Christ, as given by his disciples and as recorded in the Book of Mormon, believe in Christ. And those who do not believe these words do not believe in him. The Book of Mormon bears witness of Christ and of the Bible. It is written to persuade men to believe in their Lord and in his ancient word. Those who believe the Book of Mormon believe the Bible, and those who believe the Bible believe the Book of Mormon. Brigham Young said, No man can say that this book, laying his hand on the Bible, is true, and at the same time say that the Book of Mormon is untrue. There is not that person on the face of the earth who has had the privilege of learning the gospel of Jesus Christ from these two books that can say that one is true and the other is false. No Latter-day Saint, no man or woman can say the Book of Mormon is true and at the same time say that the Bible is untrue. If one be true, both are. Verse 10. And ye will also know that ye are a remnant of the seed of Jacob, therefore ye are numbered among the people of the first covenant. Presumably, Mormon is here speaking of the chosen people, the elect, those who have been true to the gospel covenant, and are thus entitled to the supernal blessings associated therewith. They are to become joint heirs, co-inheritors with Jesus Christ to all that the Father has. That is to say, they receive the blessings reserved for the firstborn, and thus qualify for membership in the church of the firstborn. Continuing verse 10, And if it so be that ye believe in Christ, and are baptized, first with water, then with fire, and with the Holy Ghost, following the example of our Savior, according to that which he hath commanded us. It shall be well with you in the day of judgment. Amen. I bear testimony that these words are true, and that as we come to know and believe in Christ, and, and better keep his commandments, then we will have uh, the promise of having the gift of the Holy Ghost with us constantly. I bear testimony to that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.